about what we talked about last week, kind of get back into it. And uh, with my message on how today, in this very unique time, we're called to live a, a life that demonstrates that we're, we're not supposed to submit to the endless barrage of fear, right? The endless barrage of fear that's, that's being presented to us. And there's been one verse that's really been speaking to me in the last week, and it's, it's a common verse. You've probably heard it before. But right now, it's really speaking to me. It says, it's, it's from Paul's second letter to Timothy. It's 2 Timothy 1 and 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. Isn't that interesting how he, the two are combined together? Not, no, not fear or timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. Those are the three characteristics that I want to talk about this morning because that's what we should be carrying as Christians. Amen? Amen. Notice that Paul doesn't say to Timothy that, you know, there's not going to be a context where fear isn't going to be a natural reaction that you're going to feel. He doesn't say that. He actually doesn't say that. He instead says that, that you know, Paul's actually focusing on the spirit that we are supposed to be carrying during difficult times. And that what we carry is not fear, it's not timidness, but it's power, love, and discipline. All of which we can see firsthand. If you look outside, you can see firsthand that those are three characteristics that are really missing right now in a lot of people. There's a lot of that that's just lacking out there today. And it's funny because a lot of people think that the opposite of fear is, is, is courage and, and strength, you know, which a lot of people, you know, that, that's not, it's a fair assessment. And you've probably noticed that a lot of the, the messaging that's out there now from government and media is actually focusing on courage and, and strength when you're addressing all things COVID. But you know what? I don't think that's actually going to go that far, to be honest with you. I really don't think that that messaging is going to go that far because do you want to know why that, that's the case? Because the opposite of, of fear is not strength and courage. The opposite of fear is faith. It's faith. And we need to be carrying faith. Do you believe that this morning? You can say amen. You can believe that. We are lacking faith. Uh, the people out there are, are lacking faith. And when fear causes paralysis, when fear causes anxiety, it doesn't only destroy your peace, okay? It actually attacks the foundation of that peace. And what's the foundation of that peace? Uh, faith. Faith is our foundation. And you, can, you have to believe me on that because, you know, when something goes sideways, who's the first person that people always blame? God. God, why have you forsaken me? God, where are you in all of this? Faith is the foundation. And uh, peace goes out the window when fear is present because it challenges our faith. And, you know, I've, I've been around long enough now to notice that, you know, even in myself, right, that when you're, dealing with, uh, when you're dealing with anxiety, a cloud comes over you that makes you think that God is not present. It really does. And, you know, but the thing is that God is going to make sure that he provides help, and he, that he, he's going to help you deal with the problem at hand, and he's going to help you deal with the crisis. Faith, on the other hand, you know, when you have faith, you can say to yourself, yes, God is here, God is sovereign, God will provide, and he is capable of all things. That's what faith gives you. Faith says, I'm not going to be shaken by the threats that are being thrown at me. Faith gives you the belief that God is going to prevent whatever the threat is from happening. And even if it does happen, he's going to help you through it. He's going to give you the right tools and the right people to be around you to help you through it. So today I want to give you another kind of three spiritual injections to combat timidity, to combat fear, to combat doubt, to combat complacency, which is another big one. Right, that everyone has felt at some point in time. Maybe you're even feeling that this morning. Maybe you might be feeling that right now. But let me tell you, let me rest assured that this morning, I, I want you to know that this is not how it's going to end. Anything that you might be carrying today that is not faith is not how your story is going to end. And I want to challenge you again today to self-reflect on, on your willingness to change the ending. 
be willing to let Jesus change the outcome, to release the future into his hands so that you can walk away this morning with a peaceful heart. Amen? All right. All right, so let's get into it. And I'm going to start off where, where we left off last week, which was you know, talking about fear. And I want to move on this morning to uh, fear's ugly stepsister, anxiety. Okay? Which is a, a problem that we all deal with. And lately, with the unknown, you know, the last few months have been the perfect breeding ground for anxiety. They really have. And, uh, you know, at some point, I'm sure all of us have dealt with a little bit of anxiety of what's going to happen next. And I mentioned last week that Jesus understands fear and anxiety and fully fully in fact understands it. And he said actually in his Sermon on the Mount, he said this to, to the people he's preaching to. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, not about your body, not what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap or gather things into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them? Are you not more value than them? Here's something interesting. Did you know that actually the Greek word for anxious in this passage actually means distracted? That's interesting, isn't it? It's a word that also refers to uncertainty. That's what anxiety produces us. It gives us a feeling of, you know, what storm is actually coming next? What's on the horizon? And it's funny, too, now that, you know, we're getting onto the, the tail end of this virus, you know, everyone's jumping on the bandwagon of this second coming of uh, the pandemic, the, you know, the, the second reinfection that's going to happen. The, the, you know, they're, they're looking for some other type of fear to grab onto, to try and push out to people. Come on. It's not, that's on the, you know, it could possibly happen, but I serve a God who is greater than that anyways. Amen? Anxiety produces a feeling in us like we're, we're falling out of a plane without a parachute. But we do have a parachute. We have Jesus. <laughs> and he's going to see us through it all. Here's another bit of insight into that translation as well. The word anxious is also translated as worry in the Bible. So anxious, distracted, uncertainty, and worry all are all related in Scripture. For so many people today, worry has actually become a way of life. It really has. It's amazing what can take the place of Jesus, isn't it? Why would somebody trade Jesus for worry? Right? It's, it's amazing. It's amazing when there is a void, what will come in and fill that void, isn't it? And it's, it's kind of sad too. But let me say this though. It takes a lot, if worry takes up a lot more real estate in your mind, I want to encourage you today to read the words of Jesus that I just read. You know, and the words that he says, are not, they're not actually just a suggestion. They're actually a command. Do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. That's easier said than done, though, isn't it, sometimes? Isn't it? Yes and no, it is. But uh, I, I've heard people say, you know, I can't help feeling anxious. I've been, a, I've been a natural worrier my whole life. But you can absolutely control it. You can absolutely, absolutely control your anxiety. Your ability to choose is actually part of God's gift that he's given you of free will, of free choice. You can't always control everything, but you can always choose. You can always choose. And if you think about it, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing about any circumstance that you face that automatically creates anxiety. You know, it's a choice that, that is made. Anxiety occurs, occurs because of the way that we respond to a bad situation. You can choose how you feel about it. You can choose how you think about it. You can choose how you respond to it. If Jesus, the Son of God, said, don't be anxious, we know that anxiety doesn't come from him. Amen? If he said, don't worry, you know that's not from him, and it's actually not going to help you in any type of situation either. God does not set you up for anxiety. Have you also ever experienced that you can fall into a, a downward spiral of anxiety as well, too? 
where you can be anxious, but then that anxiety leads to something else, and it just keeps getting more, you getting more and more anxious, and things just keep coming down to you. It's like this whirlwind of anxiety that comes on you. Well, we can choose to ride that, you know, that high-speed train of anxiety, or we can choose to get off as well, too. My kids right now, they're learning how to ride bikes, and they're doing pretty good. Sophia can now ride without training wheels, which is exciting and scary at the same time. Uh, but we live, if anyone has seen my house before, we live on a very steep hill. And uh, when they're coming back from their bike rides, they're coming down a steep hill, that, that speed just builds up. It goes up. <laughs> they're, they're pedaling. They don't understand that they can actually just glide on their bikes. They don't have to keep pedaling, but they keep pedaling down the steep hill, and they're going incredibly fast, and it scares me. It almost gives me a heart attack every time. Talk about anxiety. That causes anxiety to me. But they have learned now that they can slowly break and they can get off their bikes. And now they get off of their bike and they walk it down that steep hill. And they've learned how to do that. They've made that choice. We can do the same thing with anxiety. We can get off that super high speed train of anxiety and get off at that station and instead enjoy the peace of God. Amen? Amen. You can say, Father, I bring this to you. It's beyond my control. I feel helpless in this situation, but you have the power to change what I'm facing. You love me perfectly, and I'm trusting you to handle whatever concerns me in the way that you see fit. And maybe, just maybe, I'll be excited to see what God is going to use, how he's going to use that situation to actually bless me. That's a choice that we can make. I'm going to look forward to see how you're going to use this for my ultimate good. I'm going to change the ending. Let me tell you something else as well, too. You're not meant to face anxiety alone. Amen? You're not meant to face anxiety alone. Here's another truth that I promise I'm going to preach until my very last breath. And that is that God created you for fellowship with himself and with others. With himself and with others. I preached this a little while ago. We have a relationship. We're built for a relationship as human beings. We're built for a relationship both vertically with God and horizontally. It makes a beautiful cross, doesn't it? vertically and horizontally. And here's something I just realized I, I should have realized a long time ago. Okay, our relationship with God is, is one that develops over time, right? It develops over time. It's always changing. We can never be in a place where we're satisfied with our understanding of God. In fact, the more that you study God, the more you realize you don't know enough about God and you keep going after more and more and more and more. It's a, it's a very interesting paradox of Christianity. When you are a Christian, that you're going after God, you're a mature Christian, you go after God with all that you have, and you never feel satisfied that you know him enough. Isn't that funny? It's a lifelong pursuit. And that's true for my vertical relationship with God. But wait a second. If it's true for my vertical relationship with God, shouldn't that be true for my horizontal relationship with other people as well too? Amen? I don't know, I've never thought about that before, but I think, I think it's true. We were created for a relationship with God and with others. Maybe my understanding of my relationship with others is, is kind of limited. What does God say, actually, about each and every one of us? Here, i got a verse for you, 1 Peter 2 and 9. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. In Greek, it's a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. That's pretty awesome. That's who you are. That's who I am. You're a chosen person. I'm a chosen person. The person sitting next to you, actually, is a chosen person as well. Look at the people around you right here. We are all chosen people. Amen? We're all chosen. You are. We're all considered royalty, God's very own chosen and valued possession. Have any of you ever watched Antiques Roadshow on TV? Where they have these people that come in, they bring in their, their valuable objects, and then some guy who knows everything about everything, that's a, an object-wise, can tell you what the value of that, pro, that object is. There was one that just happened recently where uh, a Vietnam vet came, and he looked like a hippie, he had the beard and everything. And he came in, he brought his, uh, he had a Rolex watch, which are valuable, 
But uh, he brought it in and said, I paid, I, you know, I, I left the war and I, I thought that I need to, I want to have a nice watch. So I, I bought this watch for $345 and I'm hoping that, you know, that I can sell it one day, maybe get, you know, maybe $1,000 or so. So he looked at the watch, the guy, the, the, the expert on watches looked at the watch. And he, he gave it a really good look over. And then the, the vet also had the box and all the accompanying receipts and everything to, to prove where he bought it and all that. And uh, the, the, the professional said, well, this is a very interesting watch. Uh, in of itself, uh, you know, if you just had this watch here right now, it would be worth probably around $75,000. But, he said, what's interesting about your watch in particular is that they only made about 100 of these watches. Not too many of them exist anymore. See this logo that's up here? It actually is down on the bottom on your watch. That makes it infinitely worth more money. And the fact that you also have the box and the receipt also proves that it is a real McCoy, it is the real deal. So I would not give this watch away for any less than $700,000. <laughs> the man, you can watch this on YouTube, the man literally fainted <laughs> in front of the expert. It's hilarious. Isn't it amazing how, how we put such value in objects in this world where the true value, though, is in each and every one of us? It's in each and every one of us. How much more valuable are we than the things of this world? You know, maybe it's time we start to value each other the same way that God values each of us. He has not given me a spirit of fear, but he has given me a spirit of love, which I can tr fully give out without regard. I can give out my love prodigally to each and every one of you, and you can do the same to everybody else. Amen? Love is a gift that you can give out without regard. As a pastor, you know, i got to tell you, I'll be honest with you, I get a little frustrated sometimes when people complain about the demographics of a church. Oh, you know, this church has too many old people. This church has too many young people. This church has too many people of this certain class. You know, who cares? Does God, does God care about that? He does not care about that whatsoever. When did that matter? When, why does that matter? It doesn't matter to God. It shouldn't matter to me. You are a royal priesthood, a chosen people. If that is who you are to God, then I need to value you the same way. We need to value each other the same way. And if you don't feel that way this morning, ask him right now to give you a strong sense of belonging first to this family. And if you're here today and you don't have that love for you, don't worry. He will pour out that spirit of love on you. When we don't have a spirit of fear, the, you know, the, the spirit of love that, he, that we're supposed to be carrying, he gives it on to you again without regard. So you can receive that love this morning as well too. And you can be among a, a, a fellowship of believers here that you can belong with. You are chosen and love should abound both vertically and horizontally amongst us. Amen? Yeah, I think so too. Oh my goodness. All right. So, you know, we're reaching the end here and, and I've already put a lot on you of what you need to be doing. It's a lot of homework, isn't it? I'm just reading scripture. I'm just reading the Bible verses here. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. We have a spirit given to us by God that gives us self-discipline. My grandfather, Pastor Morris, as many of you know, was a very self-disciplined man. Uh, when we were going through their house, uh, when he passed away, we found a, a whole stack of journals. He journaled every single day. And uh, it was incredible. We didn't know what to do with all those books. Uh, we found the one where, we found the journal, though, where he was, uh, where he was asked or, or he felt the function of God to move to Canada. And so he had a journal about that entry. And uh, he, he wrote it. He said, he said, 
I told Janet this morning that we were moving to Canada. She whipped bitterly. <laughs> but thank God she came, right? I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. Amen. No, he was very self-disciplined. He was very self-disciplined. The funny thing about self-discipline, though, is that it doesn't, I don't, it doesn't really come naturally. It's something that you have to build up. You do it. You make a choice again to do it, to be self-disciplined. My father is also very self-disciplined as well. I can remember as a child, uh, whenever I had to go over to him and ask him to fix something or do something, I'd always see him in his office on his knees praying. So I'm not sure what you were praying for, but it must have been good because he spent a lot of time praying. That's an that's a excellent example of self-discipline. I've had a lot of natural examples of self-discipline. Uh, but even if you don't have a natural example of self-discipline, it again is something that God can give you. He can give it to you freely. We have a spirit given to us, a spirit of self-discipline given to us by God. And, you know, people shrug off self-discipline a lot sometimes as well. You know, you read this verse and you're like, okay, power, I want that. Love, that's great too. I'd like to have that. Self-discipline, eh, you know, okay, sure, self-discipline, sure, why not? People don't really like self-discipline. Why? Because it requires something of you. Self-discipline requires something you, something of you. And you can't be complacent and self-disciplined at the same time. If you really want to see change in your life, if you really want to change the ending, it does require a high level of self-discipline. Not the kind that you can muster up in yourself. Only the kind of self-discipline that is given to us by God. Amen? He hasn't given us spirit of fear, but of self-discipline. And I think it's time we actually made that trade. I, I would gladly trade fear for self-discipline. Amen? Because if I'm self-disciplined, then I can self-discipline, you know, if I'm given self-discipline by God, I can self-discipline myself not to fall into fear as well. It's a very important thing to have. can't shrug off self-discipline. And really, it's important because fear almost always leads to an action. Have you noticed that? If someone is fearful or they're, they're living anxiety, they are more happy staying still, not doing anything else. Fear leads to inaction. It keeps you in stasis. It keeps you standing still and not moving forward. Self-discipline, on the other hand, it can actually move you forward and it pulls you out of the mud and then the muck that you're, that you're facing, out of bad habits, and actually self-discipline puts you into a, a place of health. It really does. When you exercise God-given self-discipline, you get to experience more of what God wants for you. Don't believe me? If you're self-disciplined about reading your Bible, what happens? What happens? God reveals himself to you through the scripture. You can read that, script, uh, that scripture that I read there this morning. I've read it a hundred times, but only this week I've been revealed to me. Of, Wait, what are these three things that you're talking about instead of fear? God continually can reveal to you through your self-discipline of reading the word what his intentions are, what he wants to give you, what the direction you're supposed to go in, and that's what self-discipline does. Amen? Self-disciplined life brings us closer to God and puts us in a better position to hear from him and shuts out any other voice, especially the voice that might be speaking fear. We can experience his peace even when we walk through hard times because if you're self-disciplined enough to remember his promises in the word, they can actually carry you through any situation. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says this, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So he knew himself that I have to keep myself self-disciplined into the things of God, into doing things that are continually going after him. Otherwise, he might be disqualified. A spiritual strong life is an awesome, wonderful life to live, but it doesn't come without effort. 
It really doesn't. Staying close to God is the only way, you know, you can have a strong sense of purpose, though, a strong sense of peace, a strong sense of fulfillment. Self-discipline lets you change the direction, ultimately the destination of your journey. Amen? Change requires self-discipline. That's the point here. If they want to see any type of change, it requires self-discipline. I want to conclude with, with this, and it's one of the greatest examples of the power So we've talked about self-discipline. We've talked about love. Let's talk about power. One of the greatest examples of the power that God gives you instead of a spirit of fear is, in fact, the power that you actually have over your own thought life. Philippians 4 and 6 through 9 says this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you're going to experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about them. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. You have the power to determine the direction of your thoughts. You do. At any time, you can refocus your mind to God and his direction instead of negative thinking. Negativity will steal your peace, or even worse, will lead you down that spiral of anxiety, uncertainty, and distraction, and worry. How can you possibly do that? By continuing saying, I choose to trust you, God. I choose to trust you in all situations, in all things. Second wave of coronavirus coming, I trust you, God. I trust you. I don't know if I should send my kids to school. I don't know if they're going to be safe. Lord, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to trust you. I don't know if I should go to the grocery store. Lord, I'm going to trust you that you're going to keep me safe. Any decision, though, anything that we're facing today, we put our trust in him and throw anxiety to the side. Amen? Here's the good news. When you, uh, a chosen person, a royal priesthood, takes a stand against harmful thoughts, he's absolutely going to give you a way to escape or overcome anything that you face. And you're going to be at peace in your situation. God will help you focus your mind and guard your thoughts if you take the first step in his direction. If you take that disciplined step in his direction. And the benefit is that when you guard your mind, you're also guarding your peace as well too. Have you ever tried giving thanks in difficult situations? Have you ever tried doing that? It feels like the totally the opposite thing that you should be doing, doesn't it? But when you do that, you're actually kind of flipping the script, right? You change the context. You bring light to the darkness. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Thank him for all that he has done. Giving thanks and faith and thanksgiving are an amazing way to guard your thought life. And I'm going to challenge you today as well, too. You know, it's an amazing way to control uh, the thoughts that are coming to your mind. If, if If you haven't already done this, give thanks for what he's already done in your life. Give him praise for what he has already accomplished And then watch what he will accomplish following that as well too because it's a step of faith. Do it and watch how peace beyond understanding falls on you. You can never exhaust your your ability uh, to think about the goodness and greatness of God, can you? You can't ever exhaust that. Guard your thought life. Seek the Father and all that is godly. His word, his word promises that when, you know, you fill your mind with that, what is excellent and praiseworthy, that the God of peace will be with you. That's a promise. Amen? All right, so I want to stand together today, this morning. I want to pray this prayer over you, but I also am going to ask the praise team to come up here and, 
And uh, we're going to go through one last song. And you know what? If you're dealing with any type of anxiety or fear this morning, what I want you to do is while we're, we're praising the Lord this morning, give thanks for what he has accomplished in your life. I want to do this as a test this morning. Let's do it this morning. Give thanks for what he has done in your life, what he is doing. And let's watch and see what happens. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So let's all stand together. I'm just going to pray this, this prayer over us. And then let's just enter into worship. Loving Father, we, we thank you for your gift of joy and your, your fruit of rejoicing. Help me to take all my thoughts captive, especially the doubts and the anxieties that are prompted by the enemy to steal the heavenly gift of joy that is mine in Christ. Thank you, Father, that you are worthy of all my praise and that your joy is a heavenly medicine and spiritual muscle that strengthens my trust and increases my love for you. May I never cease to rejoice in you all the days of my life. This I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, amen. Let's give him the praise this morning.